Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's over. We're finished. We've lost. No. No, there's still a way. There's one solution left. I'm afraid we're forced to use it. What? Star crash. Fourth dimensional attack. Yes. If we can re-enter space at the precise moment, the impact of surprise upon the Count will be so overwhelming that he cannot halt us. But, Father, there is no weapon powerful enough. Oh, yes, there is. The floating city. The floating city? Yes, yes, I know. Although we destroy its hope, its future, I'm afraid we must sacrifice it by setting it towards the Count's fortress. It's our only way. Now you must help me. Both of you. Go and direct its course. Everybody, welcome to definitely episode seven of Wild Wild Podcast, and I am here as ever with my dutiful co-host Rod. Hello. I no- notice I said dutiful. It sounds a little bit like beautiful, but it was dutiful. <laughs> well, we, we both, I mean, we both know. Both. We both know I'm not beautiful. So thank you for the compliment <laughs> that you could level and be honest about. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> and today. We are doing the, um, I mean, we've covered a couple of classics. We've covered a couple of not so classics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say this one is perhaps the biggest of the of the bunch uh, today's movie. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, but perhaps, Rod, first of all, how are you? And is there anything you want to fill us in on on uh, on anything cult related that you've been doing recently? 
By, um, by which I mean films, obviously, not those religions that you've been involved not in. Not those odd religions that I tend to, to <laughs> dabble in. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the weekly drinking of the blood is, is going well. No, uh, the, uh, the, as far as, uh, I don't know, as far as related to science fiction, I've, I've been watching uh, a few odd things here and there. Uh, my, my strange, the strange thing is that doing this series of films with you has caused me for no good reason whatsoever to uh, dabble around and, and rewatch some stuff from the same period that is also science fiction. So I, I, uh, I suffered my way through the film, the black hole again recently and uh, just marveled at how beautiful it is, how glorious it is, and how, how just amazingly attractive it is visually, how wonderful the score is, and just how miserable the script is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of amazing. I've, uh, th there's a uh, Blu-ray of the film available, but only if you're part of uh, the Disney, uh, Disney Movie Club, which I joined a yeah. few years back because I wanted to get uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea uh, on Blu-ray, and that's apparently the only way to get that. And I've stayed in the club simply because they do they do have these exclusives that uh, they issue, and the Black Hole was one of them. Uh, Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. There's a number of things like that that they've put out on Blu-ray, mm. but only you know exclusively you know directly from Disney. So if you go looking on eBay, folks, for the Blu-ray of the Black Hole, someone's going to jack the price up to last time I checked around sixty-five bucks. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just join join the Disney Club and you can buy it for like twenty. Even better, it's available to stream on Disney Plus. Exactly. So if you if you have Disney Plus, you can. Although funnily, so they've got that one on there. They have got Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea on there, but they haven't got the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh. So uh, you definitely have to sign to join the secret society to get that one. Oh, and and um, Scarecrow of Romney Marsh is an absolute gem. Absolutely, one oh, of my, it is. One of my yeah. favorite films of all time. I just absolutely love the film. Yeah, I'm I'm very grateful to you for getting me a copy of that, and I've uh, I've been visiting locations because it's it was all shot fairly close to where I live, and uh, we went on holiday there just a couple of weeks ago, and I was looking at places and uh, going, oh yeah, look, that's where I was. Oh, oh and yeah, actually, as an update to that, so I went last year to the same place. This year, I went to the church, um, you know, the, the, the church where the where Dr. Sin is the uh, is the minister. And uh, the church was open this time, so I could go inside, Ooh. which was pretty cool. And um, apparently Disney paid for the church to be restored, the interior of the church, because they, they did film it inside the church. Oh, wow. It hasn't changed since, so it's still exactly the same as it is in the movie, which is pretty cool. So I got to go in and have a look around. Nice, nice. So that was fun. But anyway, yeah, so that's a good one. Um, yeah, Black Hole, I've still never actually seen it. It's one of the films, when I got Disney+, Plus, uh, I was thinking, okay, finally, I'm going to watch The Black Hole. Here we are now, a year and a half later, and I still <laughs> haven't. <laughs> but I will, because it does look, like you said, you know, from the, the things that you see from it, it looks pretty stunning but it's um, visually glorious and the yeah, score by john barry is magnificent mm. uh but the the script is um there are several good scenes of dialogue in the movie especially when maximilian shell and uh, uh anthony perkins are uh, are talking and it's and it, the, when the, the two of them are, are are acting back and forth some of those scenes are very well written but the rest of the film all the dialogue is just miserable and it, mm. it makes the uh, it, it was disney's first pg-rated film and they made a big deal out of it 
And oh. uh, it's PG rated because, of course, someone says damn and someone says hell. So, Ooh. wow. Uh, but Walt Disney would have been spinning in his grave. Uh, well, he probably would have been spinning in his grave because they started the production without a finished script, which is <laughs> which is insane. And, of course, that's what's been fascinating <laughs> me about the black hole is... Uh, uh, I have I have been digging and digging and digging, and I already I already knew that the uh, the novelization that came out of the film at the time had a completely different ending because of course uh, the the guy who wrote it had to come up with something because he was working from an unfinished script, uh, right. and then uh, there were there turns out to have been two different comic book adaptations, and each one of them has a different ending as well. So essentially, it's a movie that. It's kind of like choose your own adventure if you re when you reach the mm. ending, depending on which version you want to uh, yeah. submit yourself to. Uh, but the really fascinating part is that I only learned recently uh, about the second comic ad adaptation, which was actually done originally for uh, as a comic strip in France, and it was done by Jack Kirby, no no less. Okay. Wait, yeah, I know, completely nuts. The man who created the Marvel universe, pretty much. Did an adaptation yeah. of the black hole in France. So, well, why not? I mean, I you know, I suppose, <laughs> you know, a, a job's a job. Yeah, why not? yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it's uh, the, you can find this stuff all online, people. If you search dutifully, or if you just go to my blog page, the the Bloody Pit of Rod, I've posted up links to where you can find an English version of the Jack Kirby comic adaptation, and uh, also. Uh, scans of the uh, adaptation that was done here uh, domestically in the United States of the movie as well. So if you would like to explore the various endings of the black hole, no pun intended, uh, and you, you can do so. Thank you. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that needs to go higher up my watch list. I've got the soundtrack album and everything, but uh, just never quite got around to it. But it's interesting, again, it all comes out around this period, which is what we're talking about yeah. uh, in this episode, where everybody was rushing to do a star wars and uh of course little did disney know that 40 years later they would just own star wars and <laughs> yes. uh would be making star wars films to the rate of about one a week um but yeah interesting that that everybody was trying to get in on the act um wasn't it around this same time that we had that weird semi-sequel to 2001 2010 oh no 2010 came along in was that um, slightly later oh geez when did that it came out wasn't that in the 80s well okay that always felt a 90s? little bit like now i can't remember I, I yeah i enjoyed it because it's an adaptation of a sequel novel written by arthur clark but uh, yeah i was uh, you know. 1984 there we go oh it was 84 okay so it was the 80s. yeah but that always felt to me like something that got commissioned purely because of the success of star wars uh, i mean but to, by 1984 we've had all three films and they're People are looking around for other properties that they can, uh, they can kind of try and target towards that audience. But I don't know. It's quite a bit more action packed than two thousand and one. Well, I, th I think I thought it was fascinating because having read the novels, they they take they take some liberties. But uh, what was great is that uh, Clark wrote uh, a couple of sequels, uh, sequential sequels to two thousand and one. And uh, what was great is that I had read the novels before, tw uh, you know, around that same time. And, and one of the things that I was amusingly telling people is like, trust me, they'll never make the third film if they want to follow along with Clark's novels, because the third film is essentially unfilmable and would make absolutely no money. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
there are plenty of other films that have been made out of uh, similar properties, but I suppose. But yeah, it's unlikely that they would bring that back now. Anyway, so yeah, we're talking about Star Wars, and uh, in this particular, in this episode, in the next episode, what we would, I think, quite um, accurately call Star Wars ripoffs. Yes, and I think both films. There's no secret about the fact that they were made specifically to cash in on the success of Star Wars. So today we're talking about Star Crash, dun, dun, dun. Um, the the film which uh, whose the, the theme music for this is what inspired the theme for the podcast. So every week, uh, when every episode, you've been hearing <laughs> an, uh, a cover version of the Star Crash theme. So the I'm going to have another go at mangling the Italian title. Oh. It's uh, it's called Scontri Stellari Oltre la Terza Dimensione, um, which I believe means star clashes, or star fights, or star battles beyond the third dimension, hmm. um, something like that, which is quite fun. Um, I mean the whole star crash thing. We'll get to that later, but <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense. But um, I mean, there. Okay, in this film, I just spoiler alert. There, are, you don't see any stars crash. Uh, no. I mean, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but I'm pretty sure we never see a star crash at all. <laughs> no, and, 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 and there does um, seem just, to be. It just seems to have been a desire to have the word "star" in the title. Mm. Uh, well, very reasonable too. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so yeah. So the story goes that. Uh, Luigi Cozzi, the director of this wonderful film, um, he was approached by an Italian producer wanting to make a uh, very very quickly to make a film based on the success of Star Wars. Now, at this point, Star Wars was out in America and was a huge hit. But in those days, it's hard to believe now, but in those days, films would take six months or more, sometimes even a year, to get released in Europe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, hearing about American movies and having to wait months to, for them to come out here. Um, and that was pretty much standard, um, which was very weird. Like, um, like Jaws, for example, came out in the UK in December, whereas it's very clearly a summer film. Wow, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was just because of that, that standard six-month um, release gap 
between America and Europe. I don't really understand <laughs> why, but there you go. Anyway, so um, so when Luigi Cosi was approached to to do a version of Star Wars, he hadn't seen it. It wasn't available to watch in Italy, and of course, no one's going to fly him to America to watch it. This is being done very cheaply. But what they did get was a was the novelization of Star Wars. So there was a book. <laughs> so they gave him a copy of the book and said, basically, here you go. We want you to make something like this, but obviously on a lot less money. Um, yes. And then, so meanwhile, so this is being set up by um, this producer, and it eventually, there's in in the book here. I, won't, I don't want to tell the whole story because you can find out the story in plenty of different forms. But basically, it was um, co-funded. It was a production with AIP, um, American International. Yeah. Um, famously, uh, Roger Corman made a lot of films for AIP back in the 60s before he went independent. And But AIP is still going. This is one of the last films, actually, that AIP made when Sam Arkoff... I think by this point, Sam Arkoff and James Nicholson had sort of separated and gone their separate ways. Yeah. Um, and Sam Arkoff was still running AIP, but he was about to sell it, and AIP was basically about to close... Um, so this is one of the last films that they were involved with but then <laughs> when they saw the final film they lost confidence in it and sold it to Roger Corman I can't so imagine why they lost confidence yeah ultimately Star Crash became um, a Roger Corman New World Pictures film but so it went through this rather convoluted production process so it's an Italian film directed in Italy but with a with an American mostly an American cast certainly in, or a British speaking cast which um, partly came through the AIP connection, which is why we get Marjo, Marjo Gortner, <laughs> Gortner yeah. and David Hasselhoff end up in here, which is pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, so Luigi Cozzi, uh, he goes away, he writes this script. Now he is much more interested in, in, in and he talks very openly about the Ray Harryhausen influence yes. on him. And of course, at this around this time, Ray Harryhausen was developing a film called Sinbad on Mars, which would have been a follow-up to Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, I think. If that's the third, I think that's oh, the wow. third one. I, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, the, the, so they he, he was planning a space set Sinbad film, which would have fit perfectly with um, the whole Star Wars boom, but it was proving it was going to be too expensive, and that kind of fell through. But this film, I feel, really does. Um, this is like because I think there is a story of Sinbad on Mars, like there is a book about anyway. I think, but Star Crash feels very much like one of Ray Harryhausen's Sinbad movies, mixed with Barbarella, and then put in space yeah. with a little bit of Star Wars. <laughs> it's kind of all of those influences going on. Uh, Harry, the Harryhausen influence, especially as we uh, as we get into the plot. Well, that, that's the thing but, about Luigi Cozzi, uh, who or Lewis Coates, as his Americanized mm, pseudonym sorry, yes. would be. Of course, Lewis Coates. <laughs> well, that's the thing about his his genre films. Uh, I have a lot of affection, not just for this film. I I have tons of affection for this film, but I also have a lot of affection for his less well known uh, films like Alien Contamination and stuff like this. Oh, that yeah. are these these science fiction uh, laced. Uh, and, and fantasy films that he made mm. that he somehow managed to convince someone to allow him to make, uh, like his two Hercules films in the early eighties yeah. with Lou Ferrigno. I mean, even yeah, the, Herc the Hercules films feel like Star Wars movies as well. They're, it, they yeah, feel they're, much they're more like sci-fi 
yeah. They, they have weird elements that seem as if uh, some of the special effects in this movie were like dry runs or as if the only way to accomplish some of the stuff that he wanted to accomplish in the fantasy setting of a Hercules film uh, was to somehow uh, just kind of ape the stuff that had already proven semi-successful in in a film like this. So it, mm-hmm. it's it's the the you know, the odd mechanical creatures and and stuff that that show up in the Hercules movies, which make absolutely no sense given that it's a complete fantasy uh, scenario. It, it, it's it's stuff that you can see the prototypes of here, and it's. It, it once you get on the same wavelength of what he's trying to do, which is kind of you know a, a Ray Harryhausen movie in space on you know less than a quarter of the budget that Harryhausen would have had, or maybe even less than an eighth of the budget that he would have had. You can understand why this is uh, this, this has this, this is seen with a, a lot of affection through a lot of fans' eyes. This is. Uh, this is a love letter to that kind of movie, uh, as misguided and, and bizarrely done as it is. Luigi Cosi is—he's also, um, I'm sure many listeners will know—he's a real champion of the fantasy horror genres mm-hmm. to the point where, in the last, I don't know how long it's been now, twenty years or more, maybe he's primarily his day job now is running a shop in Rome called Profondo Rosso um, that has a a very, what has to be said a very ratty um, kind of flea-bitten Dario Argento museum in the basement (laughs) and I've I've been there a couple of times and you're like down in these vaults under the shop and it's all, everything's a bit damp and a bit ratty and it's called the Dario Argento Museum but there's all kinds of crap down there uh, including some stuff from at least one of the Hercules films and it's like walking through um, a traveling fun fairs horror, you know, like Ghost Train. Um, <laughs> and it plays a, there's a tape. So basically when you go down there, he hits play up on the desk. And then you've got this voiceover talking you through this um, this museum in air quotes. But it's not, it's pretty funny. It's worth experiencing. But uh, yeah, him, because him and Dario are... Uh, clearly very good mates so yeah so he's got this shop uh that sells it's it's, it's weird it's like a fan it's like a fancy dress shop mm-hmm. and a bookshop with this very odd slightly damp museum down in the wine cellar so it's uh, such a strange way to describe it now now yeah. <laughs> I've, I've always had the desire to go to rome and, and visit the place oh. but at the same time now it's it's one of those things where it's like oh i'm, I'm better prepared mentally for what i'm going to experience if i ever yeah. make it so good <laughs> yes yeah you've got to put his his place high on your list although i will say that i i've been to rome three times and it was only on the third visit that i finally found the place open with luigi cozzi behind the counter so because it doesn't it only opens about four hours a day and he's not always there obviously yeah um i think the one time i went there he was off directing another movie or something or maybe he was just on his lunch break it's hard to tell but um yeah <laughs> those, so those, those a, roman lunch breaks can be hours yeah, and days long so exactly so it took persistence but i finally finally caught him and when i did what was really bizarre was and and i wish i'd realized this at the time but i didn't realize it until about two hours later when i'd got back to my um, my room so i bought from him the blu-ray that he has just 
had put out in Italy. So there's a new collector's edition of Star Crash that you can buy in his shop. Mm -hmm. And so I very excitedly bought it from him and he signed it for me and all this stuff. Um, and when I bought it, he told me how there's um, there's some new extras on there and there's a there's a 90 minute documentary about him on here oh. uh, called Fan called Fantasticozzi, uh, which is cool. So he's telling me about all this stuff and he said, oh, yeah, and there's there are new all the new extras have got English subtitles. And so I was like, great. And then so I get home, I put it on. And there's no English subtitles on this thing at all. Oh, <laughs> it's like Luigi, dang it, Luigi got me, gotcha. He got me again. Uh, <laughs> you know, an an Italian film not quite delivering what it promised. What a surprise! Oh, yeah, what a what a shocker there. Whoa, I mean, so it's a real sh it's a shame because there's some cool stuff on here, but I my Italian is nowhere near ready to uh, to translate any of it. But anyway, so the day that I was there, when I got home. I happened to look up Star Crash on the IMDb and realized that I had been there on the exact 40th anniversary of when Star Crash came out. Oh wow. I know. So, and he obviously didn't know. He wasn't he doesn't have a calendar, I suppose, with the uh, release date anniversaries of all of his movies. <laughs> but he he should. I mean, I would. Oh yeah, definitely. So, um so I so it's quite cool that I bought this off him on the 40th anniversary of when the film came out even if neither of us were aware of it at the time. Well, but the um, out of curiosity, when did you mm. first see Star Crash? Not that many not that uh, many years ago. Well, basically it was when I was just about to mention when the Blu-ray came out in America, the yeah. Shout Factory um, under the banner of Roger Corman's cult classic. So they put it out back in I think it was, I want to oh. say 2012, maybe. I can't remember. It's been it's been a number of years now, though. Yeah. Yeah. What was great was this Blu-ray, which is fantastic, by the way. And if you don't have it, this is the one to get. Um, it's um, it was out. So Star Crash was available on Blu-ray before Star Wars was available on Blu-ray, which I always <laughs> which always amused me terribly. Yes. Um, you know, they, I remember at the time they were talking about the original, especially the original Star Wars. Oh, you know. We don't have the original negative anymore and blah 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 it took them years but in the meantime we got star crash and the star crash blu-ray is amazing so it's a double disc blu-ray and dvd with so many extras it's incredible it's so packed, there are, there, are, there are documentaries on here um but what's great is the the, the historian that they've got steve stephen romano so he wrote he's written the booklet in here it's a very good booklet um, he's also done not one commentary track, but two. Yeah. He's got so much to say about this film that he couldn't fit it all in on one track. And I think, and I'm not aware of any other examples of that, where a film has two commentaries by the same person. Well, I, I have, uh, Troy, uh, Troy Gwynn and I of the Nashi cast, we've, we've felt the desire to do that for a couple of films that we've done tracks for, but we've never, we've never uh, broached the subject with the producers of the discs. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's quite a bold move to uh, to to do that, but he's clearly the world's biggest fan of Star Crash, and he talks about how he researched it for years, and he was going to write a book, and blah blah blah. So uh, that's why I don't want to go into too many behind the scenes details in the podcast today, because I really would urge everybody, if you haven't seen Star Crash, to first of all watch Star Crash yes. as soon as possible, but ideally buy this Blu-ray. And just, just glory, uh, in all the you know, in all these special effect, uh, special effects documentaries, um, 
interviews, uh, commentary tracks, just everything. It's really great. And the, the picture quality is great. The only thing that's really missing from all of these extras is an interview with David Hasselhoff. And yeah. I don't know why, because that guy will seem to do anything for money. So why nobody uh, got him on board, I don't know. Perhaps he's My sneaking still... suspicion is it was one of two things. Uh, scheduling conflicts and or mm. a too, too, too high a dollar price asking point. Yeah, that's know. true. <laughs> he did say there's a quote in Matt Blake's book. He says, and, I, and I've got, a, I disagree with him twice in this statement. So he says, it was the worst movie ever made. I thought Piranha 3D was the worst movie, but no, I was wrong. They're Star Crash. For that one, people actually waited in line at Comic-Con with the poster, and I said, what kind of medication are you on? <laughs> now, first of all, Piranha 3D is fabulous. I, I, I enjoy the hell out of it, yeah. I think he might be thinking of um, Piranha 3DD, which is the one that he's in, because the first Piranha 3D is really good, but David Hasselhoff appears in Piranha 3DD, so perhaps... That's where the confusion is coming. Could be, yeah. um, but also, Star Crash is not the worst movie ever made. Oh, David yeah. Hasselhoff has done far worse things in his own career that could qualify for that one. Yes, please but he also take any just, random episode of Baywatch. Yes. Well, that as well, yeah. Or that, what was that awful thing he did? Baywatch after... Oh, Baywatch, Baywatch after dark or Baywatch nights yeah. or something like that, yeah. That was super weird. Like Baywatch became the X-Files. That was really weird. <laughs> I, I know. And, and, and so clearly that's what the producers were thinking is, oh, we'll take yeah. advantage of this popularity of, of uh, the X-Files in the 90s and we'll just, we'll do this. And they, yeah. if, if, you, if, if you've ever watched an episode, by the way, people, I recommend uh, watching an episode of that Baywatch Nights show. I think that, I think mm -hmm. that is the title of it. Just to see how low a budget can be and still be broadcast on television. It's amazing. It's yeah, it's really funny because it's obviously they thought, well, you know, he's 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 saving people and swimming around in the sea all day. But what does he do at night? Well, <laughs> there's a whole extra show. But hang on, presumably presumably sleeping because if he's going out fighting aliens at night, he's got he's not going to have the strength to uh, to swim and rescue drowning. Um, well, you would think surfers. so. Yeah, exactly. So I mean. you know, his day job is going to suffer, and that's clearly not something they thought through. But anyway, so he says, uh, just to finish off on this quote thing here, he says, we shot in Barry in South Italy, Bari, uh, in a cave, and I got food poisoning. So for two weeks, I was really ill. It was an all Italian crew. And even when I watch it to this day, I don't know what it's about. I will give him that. This is a film that is quite bizarre in a number of ways. So I've got a couple of different plot summaries I thought we could go through i've got one from um matt blake's book and i also because this was an aip production although ultimately not distributed by aip there's quite a lengthy um description of star crash in the recent book uh what's it called it's so big i will pick it up so i picked up the book the american international pictures a comprehensive filmography which is a really good history of um, AIP, if you're into that kind of thing, so I recommend that one as well. Well, I, um, almost any, almost any synopsis you use, um, will, will have to leave out things because the movie is yeah. just dense packed with all this bizarre extraneous information, and if you. If you tug on any individual hanging thread, you can spend way too much time down rabbit holes mm. that 
only tangentially affect anything on screen. And, and, and part of that is because the, the plot of this thing is a mishmash of like half thought out ideas and kind of half remembered mm-hmm. moments from movie serials and science fiction novels yeah. and comic books. So. There's definitely a kind of Flash Gordon or um, Buck Rogers kind of feel to this thing as well. Yeah. Definitely, the scripts. Uh, it, the script's a mess. I mean, it, don't get me yeah. wrong. It's you know I described the script of the Black Hole earlier as a mess, but the reason the Black Hole is a mess is a completely different, re- completely different reason from why uh, Star Crash is a mess. Uh, mm. th- this th- what this is is Star Crash's script feels like. Uh, a, a, a story idea, a, 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 a plot, kind of assembled from randomly post-it noted ideas that had, that were <laughs> jotted down and then assembled into some kind of linear form in the dark. I mean, it just makes yes. there's no logical progression from scene to scene or from idea to idea. There's a basic, a basic story. But if you examine it very closely at all, and if you ever, ever at any point in the story look back and try to understand, well, wait a minute, that you realize that none of it makes any yeah. damn sense whatsoever. No, no, but it's fun. That's the difference, I suppose. Yeah, you yeah. have a lot of a lot of fun. Now, apparently, so when Roger Corman saw this film, he felt it was a bit flabby, and he trimmed five minutes out. So there is an Italian kind of original cut. And then there's the cut that we're more familiar with, which is the one that comes on the Blu-ray. Yeah. And with the, I did wonder whether Luigi Cozzi had managed to do a restoration of his cut for the Italian Blu-ray, but no, the Italian Blu-ray is exactly the same version that is on the um, the the American Blu-ray. However, what you do get on both versions are the deleted scenes. Yes. And I have watched some of them. I didn't manage to get through all of them. There are a lot. Oh, I recommend um, all the deleted scenes because... Yeah. But the ones that I did watch, it didn't seem to be adding much to the understanding of the story because I did wonder whether we were missing something major that would somehow make it all make sense. But I <laughs> no, don't think, no, nothing like that. I don't think that's what's really been cut. But, no. Um, what what yeah, was cut out was, was extraneous details and just mm. you know things that kind of added either color or another odd element here, there, yon, which is why I, I wish there was a way to kind of take all those deleted scenes and edit them back into a mm. cut of the film. I would love to see that because as far as I'm concerned with Star Crash, the more the merrier and the longer the cut, the better. If there's, you know, if there's a, a, a three hour cut of this squirreled away, I'm willing to pop the popcorn <laughs> and, and just go ahead and watch it. So. Yeah. Some enterprising person could take all the deleted scenes and then put them all back in if they wanted to but i'm not going to do it <laughs> i wish i wish someone then, um, would i really i really do I, you never know there's that um there's a website is it called fan edits that has a lot of that kind of stuff oh that's true i haven't even um, thought to look there so maybe somebody has that might be worth it worth a look uh just like the people that have done the original star wars um restorations that you can get you know, the original trilogy stuff yeah maybe there's an original star crash out there but uh, so let's have a go so we've we've, we've got um, we see at the beginning of the film some guys on a spaceship and they are doing kind of spaceshipy things and everything's very official and then they're approaching this planet and then all of a sudden they are attacked by what um, <laughs> what what Matt Blake describes as you know they're attacked by a lava lamp. Uh, that's he's not the only person to describe it that way. Yeah, there are all these red blobs that are suddenly floating around all over the ship, which turns them all sort of mad. It seems, but some um, some escape pods get fired off to and 
and that's kind of the beginning of the film right and then oh and then we get we get a traditional star wars crawl yeah that gives us a uh kind of an introduction which if he hadn't seen star he must have seen star wars. like i know he hadn't seen star wars by the time he, when he was writing this but by the time he was editing he must have seen star wars oh i think to so, be able yeah. to, to to know to do that um that crawl up the screen like that but so we get a bit of a bit of a story about the evil count zarthan 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 um zarthan the lead the, he's head of the league of dark worlds and so we get a load of blurb about that. Um, and then we cut to the beautiful Stella Star and her partner in crime, Acton. So let's start with Stella Star. So Stella Star, Caroline Monroe. Mm-hmm. And this ties in with something we were talking about last time with character names. They've really made an effort here to give them proper kind of B-movie sci-fi names. True. true. Stella Star and Acton. Which I think is very good. Caroline Monroe is dubbed in this movie. Yeah, by Candy Clark. Yeah. Oh, is that is that who it is? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. was this was this dub done in America then? Uh, do you think? I I don't I don't know for sure. I well well, Candy Clark recorded her her uh, her dubbing in America. That's for sure in L.A. But as for the, the the question has always been, you know, why the choice to do that? I mean, because Caroline Monroe has a perfectly wonderful voice as it stands. So. Yeah. I'm guessing the she's desire. dubbed. She gets dubbed a lot in her career. I know it's very odd. She was dubbed in uh, Captain Chronos, Vampire Hunter, yeah. and uh, it, it. I don't understand it because I, th- I think she has a. When you know in the movies that she did, where you can hear her voice from the same period, you're like, well, there's nothing wrong with her voice, other than the fact that she has you know a British accent. I don't know. Mm. It's it's weird because I've met Caroline Monroe a few times. It's weird hearing that voice coming out because this is not her what's even funnier i'm um i'm doing some stuff at the moment on another film that she's in called i don't want to be born it's a joan collins oh yeah uh horror film and the voice that they've given her in that is just hilarious it sounds absolutely it's just completely the wrong voice coming out of her face even worse (laughs) than this one it's bizarre but um i think everybody else is pretty much doing their own voices here act on does sound like Marjo yeah, Gortner yeah. to me. Um, uh, now, Marjo, fascinating character whose backstory is just incredible. Yes. And I, I don't know, have you ever seen his documentary? No, I've only seen excerpts. Uh, Marjo Gortner, for those who don't know, uh, was a uh, his parents raised him uh, to be a, uh, a preacher, a preacher. Uh, an evan- evangelical preacher here in the United States. Uh, so as a child, he was this uh, this traveling uh, preacher, and that was the family business. Um, when he became an adult, he can you know he continued doing this throughout his throughout his childhood. And when he became an adult, he decided that uh, he wanted to kind of blow the lid off the scam that was this kind of traveling roadshow evangelical thing. Mm-hmm. And so there was a document. He he contacted his people, and they made a documentary about him. And the documentary won a number of awards. I mean, it was very well received, mm. and he kind of used that as a launching pad to get himself out of that life and start a, a movie and TV acting career. Which, um, <laughs> which, depending on how you feel about B movies, was either a bit of a flop or a triumph. Because you know, he's oh, not yeah. only is he in Star Crash, but he's also in Food of the Gods, mm-hmm. <laughs> Earthquake. He's a crazy person in the mo- in the big disaster oh, yeah. movie Earthquake, and, and then. 
Didn't he end up in some soap in the 80s? Oh, I don't even remember. Not, I mean, is it, what, not what? Dallas or Dynasty, but something like that. Like yeah, yeah. One of those American, like, um, oh, what were some of those other shows? Anyway, one of those that I never saw because they, I was too young. But I think he, <laughs> he ended up doing one of those in the 80s, and then he's kind of just disappeared. But, but yeah, really interesting guy. Um, his the look that they've given him in this film is really odd. I mean, that's that is his own curly hair. He's got quite a tight perm. Yeah. But I think that is just his hair. But he's also got this kind of fake tan and he looks just a little bit weird. It makes his teeth glow well, just a little bit Let's address this right now. And this is something <laughs> that we, 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 we need to talk about because if you come to this film, first of all, if you've seen this film, you know where I'm going with the makeup idea. If you haven't, mm. let's, let's, let's have you brace yourself because no one in this film except the women look physically natural as far as their skin tone is concerned. And I'm not just talking about mm. the, the character that pops up later who's got green skin and crap like that. That's not the mm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that, the, for instance, David Hasselhoff is wearing enough makeup to be RuPaul. I mean, this, <laughs> this is simply a fact, okay? And I don't know yeah. why this choice was made. I don't know what the deal is. Don't get me wrong. I'm assuming that, like a lot of things, when you're making a science fiction film, is you're, you're, going, you're, you're going, okay, look, we can be creative. We can be a little over the top. We can be a little, uh, you know, nuts if we want to be here because we're talking about a scenario in which, you know, we're not on Earth. We're in the far-flung future. We can do all kinds of crazy crap. But when you think about the fact that, there, that like these makeup, the, the the makeup on these characters draws so much attention to itself at times that you 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 kind of get distracted, and so it's mm. it's it's another one of those odd little bitty. I mean, it's very minor. I wouldn't call it a misstep, but a, 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 an odd choice that adds a, adds something to the movie, but what it adds doesn't necessarily help it. <laughs> it's mm. just kind of an odd distraction at times. But then again, at this point with Star Crash. The more the merrier. The crazier the crap that you throw on the screen, I'm almost yeah. I'm almost glad that it's there simply because oh that's just another insane thing. It's like you know, do you need nipples on a, a robot? No, you don't, but you do it because it's Star <laughs> Crash. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The so, so like if we if we were going to be looking at this film as to see whether there was any potential for romance for Stella Star, she's basically got two guys to choose from, and they both have quite tight uh tight perms and uh, more more makeup on than she does exactly um but i think you know the 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 main romantic relationship that seems to develop is between her and her friendly robot the um the southern sheriff l yeah who sounds like uh, what's his name is it sheriff pepper from the uh Oh, from the Bond films. Yes. Bond films. It's like if that guy got turned into a robot. I, d- I described him. I described him as uh, a Texas moron. He says what it sounds like. Have you both gone mad? I only have logic and emotion circuits. No room for craziness. We all have been assigned to a top secret Imperial mission. We must now leave and set acting free. But what's what's interesting, of course, is that inside the robot suit was Caroline Monroe's husband. Yes. So that might that might explain why. Why they have the best chemistry out of anybody in the film could be. <laughs> it's pretty funny, um, and I believe he he agreed to do that job, basically, so he could just go with her and be with her on set. Um, he does get a cameo as himself. Yeah, I think he's the prison guard who lets Marjo or lets Acton, sorry, out of his little <laughs> prison tube, 
like Acton just comes rising up out of the ground. And, oh, I know. Uh, that, yeah. that guy with the, the guy that lets him go, that's also um, Caroline Monroe's husband. Uh, well, the thing we should, we should emphasize is that there are so many images and ideas that are stolen, I'm sorry, borrowed from all mm. kinds of other pieces of science fiction, and not just visual science fiction either. I mean, there's a lot, there's a, I mean, the first, the, the first thing you hear when the movie starts is someone over inside the spacecraft, someone paging, I think, what is it like major Bradbury or something like that. <laughs> and then you notice, you can notice that the name of the spacecraft that the movie starts on, the one that gets attacked by the lava lamp is uh, the mm. Murray Lannister and Murray Lannister yeah, is, uh, is what a, is that? Oh, Murray Lannister was, uh, it was kind of a, the pseudonym name for a, a, a science fiction writer uh, of the of the pulp era. Uh, wrote a lot oh, of great right. okay. stuff. So uh, I did wonder what that was. Well, you know, he he published stuff in astounding astounding stories and stuff like that. He wrote a lot of stuff, and so that is just another little Luigi Cozy thing where he's he's pointing mm. to the pulp origins of a lot of the uh, well, almost all of the stuff that you're going to find in this movie. Yeah. That's funny. I hadn't noticed that. Anyway, we've got off track already because oh. we've only just got past the opening credits. See, see this the music, is what happens. Yeah. The music, of course, provided by John Barry, and it's such a great theme. Oh, love the score. Uh, the score I mean, is lovely. This, of course, I don't know whether it's just because we know it's John Barry, but there's a lot of Bond-sounding riffs in this um, in this soundtrack. Well, sounds, we would not be the first to To me, to more note. Bond. Yeah. Yeah, but it sounds like he wrote this... Uh, right after apparently he wrote the score for Moonraker and there are oh. more than a few similarities between the yes. Moonraker score and this so speaking of Star Wars ripoffs now yes. a lot of Bond because uh, I, I write for Cinema Retro magazine and um, so years ago we had a couple of like social things together and all those guys for them Moonraker is the worst of all the James Bond films mm, and it's, it's close like a, it's close for me it has a it has a great for, opening 45 minutes and then just goes well, off the rails but for me for me Moonraker is my favorite James Bond film so mm. I you, you can imagine how that went down at the Cinema <laughs> Retro staff Christmas dinner but um, yeah, I love I love Moonraker. Well, but that could, Moonraker couldn't yeah, everybody so, get together and hate on a view to a kill? I mean, well, <laughs> for me, Octopussy is the worst one by far. Oh, I disagree. But, I, uh, I disagree sharply. Yeah. I'd love to have that conversation as a podcast with you because I I <laughs> yeah. think Octopussy. Everybody always points to the same two things in Octopussy, and I'm like, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna pull those two small things out of Octopussy, trust me, let's go into detail on on a view to a kill because holy god! Yeah. Well, but you know, ultimately, I'll watch any Bond film and enjoy it. I, I love. Oh them. yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so he's just so there's, yeah, the Star Crash theme is far more reminiscent of Bond than of Star Wars. Although the like, apart from the very the very sort of specific riff of the Star Crash theme. Um, which I'm sure I will cut in right now. Because you can kind of sing along. Star Crash, it's a star crash. You know, there are no official works. lyrics, people. Do not feel that you no, have to accede but, to Adrian's sad, sad lyric writing here. <laughs> Any good theme is one that you can sing the name of the film to. Or TV show too. That's a that's a known, um, that's like an industry secret for for composers for television and film. They they write stuff 
so that you can sing the name of the show to it. That's oh, definitely Lord. And now I'm, now I'm trying to put lyrics to Gilligan's Island's theme or the Six Million Dollar Man's theme, and I'm having trouble. Oh, well, that, that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so so right, so we the film begins properly with Stella Star and Acton. Now, apparently they're space smugglers. So this is clearly, um, so Stella is like Barbarella meets Han Solo. Right. And Acton, I guess he's he's supposed to be the sidekick. So he's like the Chewbacca, but he's also like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Because uh, he yeah. he's got some kind of force thing going on. And he also appears to be completely asexual. Like there is absolutely zero chemistry between them at all. Um, despite the fact that she is gorgeous and spends quite a lot of the film in a kind of space bikini mm-hmm. um not very <laughs> uh, she's in prison and she's like having to carry stuff and put stuff into these furnaces and all the people around her are wearing these rags and she's wearing this kind of leather bondage bikini <laughs> gear yes. which is just the most impractical clothing oh for and for the, reference uh, by the way of course that whole prison sequence where they're taking mm. those those glowing balls and putting them into yeah. a pit, some kind of furnace thing. That's straight out mm. of an old Flash Gordon serial, man. That's what exactly uh, what that it must is. Be. Yeah, it's really funny. So anyway, there's zero chemistry. So Acton appears to be asexual, but they are space smugglers, and um, they are being chased by um, the green guy. Uh, what's his name? Thor, Thor. and uh, the robot L. The uh, <laughs> the uh, Sheriff Pepper. And so they're being chased, but they're going to do this maneuver to get rid of their, uh, to get rid of this tail. And they um, jump into hyperspace, basically. And the, uh, the hyperspace effect is pretty funny. They're trying to pull off the kind of going into warp speed kind of thing that you see in Star Trek, but they're basically using what looks to me like feed video feedback to create it where you point, where you point your video camera at the monitor and you get this feedback loop. That's kind of what they're doing there. Yeah, I think you're um, right. yeah. So it doesn't look great. But anyways, but they jump to hyperspace. They come out of hyperspace. They are high-fiving each other because <laughs> she's the best pilot in the galaxy, apparently. Because they can well, push buttons, exactly. Yeah, you don't really see much that... Uh, but then what's there's a weird thing. They get pulled into the kind of gravitational uh, pull of a neutron star or something. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to explode. So she presses a button and then the the big, the main part of their spaceship just gets jettisoned and floats off and they fly away in just this little bit they've got left. And they're like, woohoo, we're the best. And I'm just thinking, hang on, what? What did you just do, throw do you away? You, yeah. didn't, do you mean you didn't need that the whole time? It's massive. <laughs> um, well, here's, but it didn't here's work. one of the weird things about it. First of all, all the dialogue in this segment of the film is miserably bad. I mean, just incredibly oh, inane and terribly written. Uh, it, it's 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 it, it, Honestly, you could almost rearrange any of the dialogue from any of the characters into random order, and it would make as much sense as it does when you're watching the film in the order it's supposed to be. But... One of the things that seems to have been lost, it seems to me that surely if they're smugglers, the thing that they jettisoned must have been what they were smuggling. And therefore, it's it's that kind of a situation where once again, we're, we're talking about how, how as a smuggler, 
you end you you end up not you end up uh, being caught, but you're not caught with the goods because you managed to get rid of them. Uh, almost mm. a reference to something that that is talked about with Han Solo in Star Wars. Yeah. So I keep thinking but, that they're going to reference that, and they never do. And I wonder if it's because that's just something that they weren't sure they could pull off in the special effects or I don't, so let's not talk about it because if we talk about it, then somehow we have to produce the image on screen. And what if we can't, I I don't know. (laughs) But if, if uh, I mean, it'd be, it would be like Han Solo jettisoning most of the millennium Falcon. Yeah. All he's got left is all he's got left is the cockpit. (laughs) They just, they just seem to just let the most of their ship just drift off for no apparent reason. But then it didn't work anyway because Thor and Elle catch up yep. and they are under arrest. Um, meanwhile, I think we kind of cut away to... I'm getting a bit lost already in the story. Oh, I'm not necessarily telling... I'm not telling things in the same order. Um, but they're given the job of investigating oh, well, whether okay, the well, fate... Hold on, hold on. One thing they... Oh. While, while they're... Uh, after they've escaped... Oh, no, this before is before. they get caught up with, they, they, they rescue... They, they run across a, a, a little ship... And they end up oh, yeah, rescuing, rescuing a survivor from that ship um, mm. before they're ca- before they're captured by the pursuing cops yes. and carried off to prison. That was it. That ends up being uh, the uh, one of the surviving like shuttle ships that got away from the mm. Murray Lannister at the beginning when it was being attacked by a lava lamp. So yes, yes. And so um, so initially they're sent to prison. So we've just mentioned she's in some kind of hot, sweaty furnace prison in her bikini, which I guess it is probably quite appropriate given how hot it was in there. But um, <laughs> yes. they've got to, they've got to keep putting these, it remind it reminded me of future armor where the fuel that they have is like these neutron. I don't know what they are. Neutron balls or something that they have yeah. to put into the furnace. It's a bit like that. Um, and Stella manages to, uh, to, to basically effect an escape. And the whole place gets blown up. Um, although she gets caught again anyway, I think. Doesn't she just get caught again? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they, they, they effect an escape. And then once they're, you know, through the through the power of jump cut, they're actually just out, you know, outside. And yeah. uh, then they're they're picked up again by Thor yeah. and L because but this time you're gonna go on. Well it's well it seems that the reason they're being picked up is the uh, the emperor of the universe wants her and Acton to help uh, to help in the fight against the evil Count Zartharn, and this in, this is because of that uh, survivor that they found on that uh, jump ship. So yeah. uh, it would appear, and this is all information dropped <laughs> into our ear in the most ham-handed fashion imaginable, uh, the, apparently Zartharn <laughs> has created a, a, a kind of devastating planet-sized weapon that will allow him to rule the universe because, you know, Ooh, Death Star, sounds fam- quote unquote. Sounds familiar. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But no one knows where it's located because, you know, it's planet size and those things are easy to hide. Um, yeah, and I think it's actually hidden inside a, a real planet yeah. or something. So um, the, the the smugglers... Somewhere in the, somewhere in the haunted stars, I think they say. <laughs> yes, yes. The smugglers <laughs> are forced to accom- accompany their captors, Thor and El, the robot, on the, mm. the search uh, through the haunted stars, this is more information dropped into everybody's ear by Acton, who seems to just know whatever the plot needs him to know. And if they succeed, they'll be pardoned. 
Uh, oh, and oh, by the way, if they uh, should, while they're doing this, stumble across the Emperor's son, the Crown Prince, who was on that uh, that ship, the Murray Lannister, was attacked by the lava lamp. They should uh, they should probably bring him back too. So, mm. yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, we haven't mentioned that the Emperor of the Universe, which is, I mean, you've got to be a dictator, right, to be to call yourself Emperor of the Universe. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, that's. That's not going to be a nice guy. But uh, <laughs> even Queen, even to... Queen, only called themselves princes of the universe. For God's sake! Exactly. Yeah, and he's just—he's uh, sitting there on his throne with his cape, and this is none other than Christopher Plummer mm-hmm. himself having in, a ball. Uh, now, depending on what source you read, he either did one day on this film or three days. Mm-hmm. I've seen it said both ways, but either way, he's basically on one set, and we have—I think we first meet him by way of a kind of Star Wars-style hologram, yeah, which is basically actually just his image being laid over the other image. Nothing quite as fancy as the, the actual real holograms that we see. Don't give away There's the no secrets. There's no fuzzy lines. Oh, you're telling There's people no fuzzy how they lines do this. Yeah. No, it's just there he is. So he's talking to them, and he's very placid, and he just seems like a lovely guy. But I would be just nervous about somebody who calls themselves Emperor of the Universe. Well, especially one who dresses that way, because, my God... Yeah. It's like, is the cape, is the cape really necessary? Yeah, what, oh, yeah. what you're wearing a cape? Uh, mm. we're because I mean, they're basically him and Count Zarthan are basically just two sides, two sides of the same evil dictator coin. You've got the benign dictator on one hand, and then you've got the Darth Vader on the other hand. They're both wearing capes. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Zarthan is dressed more like Dracula. Um, <laughs> yes. Played by Joe Spinell, a man whose face is um, quite unique. Uh, well, it, and, Joe uh, Spinell's face—I lo- I love him. He's always a great actor, but at the same time, yeah. Joe Spinell's face always looks like it's oozing sweat and pizza grease. It's—it's—it's never—it's yeah. never, never a good look, especially when he gets all head up and is playing crazy. Mm. And uh, boy, this movie gives him the opportunity, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's got the kind of face that only his mother would have loved. And even then, I mean, it might, might not have always been easy for her. But um, no, he, it's really funny. Again, just sort of random casting. Here's this guy yeah. from from The Godfather and like Maniac and stuff. And now here he is strutting around as the uh, evil, an evil count head of the League of Dark World. So he's made, so I think his basic plan for his life is that he wants to become the emperor of the universe, but we can't have that because we've already got a nice emperor of the universe. Yeah, and this guy and, is dressed uh, in black, so clearly his fashion sense, while it may be better, yeah, it does connotate problems. So it's it's better better the dictator you know than the dictator you don't true, know. True, very true. I think that's basically what's going on here. So anyway, off they go to rescue uh, the the son of the emperor, find that weapon, destroy it and basically save the universe now at some point in here and i've already forgotten where this fits in and i've seen this film you know <laughs> i've re- seen this movie numerous so times. times yeah at some point they i think they go to an, a planet and um she gets caught by amazons oh yes they go to i think so the, oh, oh no i remember now what it is so they know that there were three escape pods and they've all gone to different planets so i think they're trying to track them down and they already know about one of the escape pods because that was the one that they found the guy in who was unconscious. So they follow another one and they get to this other planet and the escape pod is crashed and they're looking around 
and then um, Stella gets captured by women who also happen to be just basically wearing bikinis. Yes, yes. And uh, she's landed on some kind of Amazon warrior planet. True. Um, and they seem furious with Stella about something, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure what they're so cross about. Mm. But they, they want to kill her. Yeah, and they're, they're, I don't... They, they seem all head up, and they definitely do yeah. not. Oh, I, it's it's L that they have a lot of animus toward. The queen there has uh, some severe hatred for L, and they blow the shit out of him. Yeah, and he because yeah, and I don't quite, I don't really understand why. But um, so she manages to. So Stella gets taken into their. Uh, um, she or she's in. She's caught, and she's she meets the queen. She then manages I, 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 I to escape. I gotta tell you, I'm I, I shouldn't be enjoying this, but listening to your confusion while attempting to to to, to relate <laughs> the tale of this sto- of this film, oh, I, 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 this is this is manna from heaven, man. This is great. Yeah, oh, it's so difficult. So anyway, so she she manages to escape, but then but of course the queen has got a secret weapon, which is this huge <laughs> statue. Um, I refer to it she... as the giant poorly stop motion animated robot. So this is where this is where we get to the Harry. This is our first proper Harryhausen scene, mm-hmm. um, and so Stella Star gets chased across the beach by this big lady robot. Yes, and as you already mentioned, we definitely know she's female because mm-hmm. um, this seems to be a planet of all women. We never find out what did happen to the guys in the crashed pod. By the way, nope. I don't know. I I imagine that they're just off somewhere having a lovely time um being the only man available on the planet or maybe they've been held as uh slaves to perpetuate the species i don't really know um there's a whole thing this, these women remind me i think we talked about this last time um of ator the uh, fighting eagle oh yeah and there's a whole thing in there where he gets captured by a race of women um and they all the women have to fight over who gets to to mate with Ator, because there are apparently not very many very many men around. So I, I maybe something similar has happened on this planet. But anyway, so Stella has to escape the giant robot, and um, Acton, uh, not Acton. Where is Acton at this point? Is he? I think he's still. Oh no, he's back up on the spaceship. Yeah, he's he? on the with, spaceship. Um, he's on the spaceship with Thor, and um, this is when we find Caroline, out Thor is a traitor. Thor is a traitor. He's clubbed Acton round the head. Mm-hmm. But as Acton, as we find out later, Acton knows the future. So, I know. God, but he it's... still didn't know he was going to get hit round the head. Or maybe he did. I don't know. Who kn- maybe anyway, he knew that he had to be hit on the head for the next part of the film to happen. I don't know. And Because um, they, they kind of have a fight. Uh, I don't know. But anyway. So yeah, so Thor is a traitor. And then... So does Stella have to fight Thor? I can't remember. Uh, there is a fight with Thor, but it's with uh, but Acton wages it after he you know. <laughs> pops, oh, pops that's Acton. Thor, yeah. Acton comes around and uh, defeats Thor. So now we've got Acton, Stella, and um, L. Yeah, Acton... and, and, and at this point we should probably apologize. Just, just is... honestly, people, if if you if you <laughs> feel like we've lost this is the, the worst. plot, it's impossible to maintain <laughs> the plot of this thing because. Really, in this film, there is no logical progression from scene to scene or from idea to idea. When an, no. when an explanation or a solution to a problem was needed, it just seems like Luigi Cozy 
inserted a line of ridiculous dialogue, had the characters smile at each other, and just kept the damn thing moving. Because it's like, you know, if you ever slow down, then surely somebody's going to figure out that we don't know what we're doing here. (laughs) So a a lot of the dialogue I do apologize. This is going to be the worst podcast plot summary of all time. Oh, when when dealing (laughs) with this film, how could there be a good one? Let's be blunt. Yeah. So, I mean, just to refer back to the other book, the AIP book that I mentioned, it says here, Star Crash is trashy, corny, ridiculous, primitive, and about 10 times more fun than its serious prototype. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got, it's true. It is. It's, uh, it also just it calls the film as a big, bad, sci-fi spectacular, loud, garish, nonsensical, mm-hmm. even self-contradictory, yes. with bizarre images and impossible narrative ambushes predominating. <laughs> yes. And yes, that's narrative that's basically ambushes. it. Oh, that's my new uh, favorite descriptive phrase for yeah. this: narrative ambushes. Yes. So, trying to describe what happens from scene to scene is pretty tricky. But basically, so we get to the point where we're just left with our three heroes: Caroline Monroe, Acton, and um, and L. And they've already so they've they've escaped the planet of the Amazon women, and then they go to the last. They know where the last escape pod is, and then they go to the last one. I think don't they have to survive? Now it's their turn to get attacked by the lava lamp. Yeah, because they finally found the the planet where this weapon is, and the weapon is some kind of psychic weapon. That effect makes people go crazy. It is. It is essentially the lava lamp. Yeah. Yeah. Visually, it's a lava lamp, but they're all clutching their heads, like it's some kind of psychic weapon. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it even seems to affect L, who doesn't have a brain because <laughs> he's a robot. Um, Acton seems to be fine because he's on another plane of existence. Apparently, so it would appear. Um, and so anyway, they touch down and. Uh, Acton, oh no, they get separated again, or does Acton stay on the ship again? Um, because it's only it's only Stella and the robot. Well, it who depends go. on which portion of the film you're attempting to describe. Well, um, so Stella and Stella and uh, L touch down on this planet and immediately get attacked by cavemen. Oh yeah, yeah. And okay. I can't I can't remember where Acton is at this point. Acton is still is up just, on the ship. He stays in the ship. Uh, he's even though he's got magic powers that. And the ability to see the future. Easily. And you yeah. can see the future. He just uh, sits up there and lets... So L gets smashed to bits, uh, which is actually quite violent. Um, and he's just completely obliterated. And uh, Stella, who, despite apparently being this great fighter and pilot and whatever, she is quite easily captured and tied up and taken to a cave. The same caves, possibly, that we've seen in every other film that had a cave in it so far this uh, season. It's possible. Um but luckily, there is a guy wearing a gold mask who is peeking over the rocks and looking and watching. And he waits until it looks as though they're about to kill Stella or I don't know what they're going to do, eat her. Possibly. Make her their, make her their queen. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, he then pulls out his, uh, his laser gun and he turns out to be, and he rescues Stella. This is, of course, none other than David. Simon. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> you're going, well, you're going with the character name I'm impressed so. David Hasoff. but here we go again as we mentioned before character names we've had Stella Star, Acton 
Zarfan and Simon. <laughs> like, did they? Did he run out of sci-fi names here? I, that's a good oh, question. Yeah, bit of a disappointing. Uh, but so he's the sole survivor of the crashed pod, and he's wearing this gold mask. That oh no, wait, he doesn't have a laser gun. He shoots lasers out of his out of the mask's eyes. Yes, and it, it did not escape my notice that that mask is very much a copy of the way the Zardoz head looks in that yes. particular John Borman yeah, film. So. It does, it does look like Zardoz. But then, so he's got this great weapon apparently that he can shoot lasers out of his eyes. Uh, but then when they get attacked by the cavemen again, he just drops it and runs off. And oh, because it, yeah, thinking, it's lost its power. It's out of its charge now. And it's why, like, well, damn, why, have you been using this thing you, a lot? Or what? I mean, this is like in any film ever when you see somebody who's run out of bullets and they just throw their gun away. And you're always thinking, what? <laughs> keep it no, on. <laughs> just, you know, keep hold of it. It could be useful. You've now got nothing. Um, True. So, yeah, that was all pretty funny. Um and then meanwhile, while that's happening, so they realize now that they, oh, oh yeah, Simon has been looking this whole time for where the weapon is and he couldn't find it. He searched everywhere, apparently. But then Acton comes along and then he goes, oh no, it's just around here. And they just go around another corner in the cave. Oh yeah, that's and right. They it's find right the entrance. Here, yeah. They find the entrance to Zarthan's secret weapon. So all three of them go in and uh, this is where Zarthan is waiting for them even though he's got a spaceship uh, but for some reason he's now here I don't know whether he saw them coming I'm not entirely sure but he's there anyway um, who knows man who knows and he, he gives them a bit of a speech about how he's better than them and stuff. <laughs> um, your standard bad guy speech yes yeah and, but then he sets his robots on them and this is where so he's got these two they look like clockwork um, robots, yeah, and they look—they they actually look very similar to some of the robots that are used in the Star Wars prequels. I thought hmm. I can't remember what those those kind of robots were called, but there's a like before they had stormtroopers, you know, in back in Episode One, they've yeah, got these yeah. uh, robots. They, they kind of like them, but these are more—it's more great Harryhausen style stop motion animation, and they have to fight these robots. These robots have got swords. Which it just seems a little bit old-fashioned. I mean, we're in a we're in a universe where they've got laser guns and they can shoot lasers out of their eyes. But he's just given these robots swords. Well, I think this um, is an instance where we're what we're talking about here is. I mean, we we're talking about this being a ripoff of Star Wars, and to a large degree, of course, all all the elements that are being stolen from Star Wars to be used in this movie. One of them, of course, is the idea that there's, you know, for some reason, people who are running around with laser swords, with lightsabers, and the whole idea that mm. that would be something you would incorporate in because just see, I mean, he's like, oh, well, I guess that's what the audience is expecting now, right? I mean, that's that's exactly what they're looking for is is not, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be like that moment from Rangers of the Lost Ark when someone, you know, pops up with a sword yeah. and something <laughs> just gets shot. Uh, which is yeah. exactly what it would be like. <laughs> you would just get yeah. shot. At least in Star Wars, the concept of having this lightsaber uh, able to block blaster fire gives you a reason for why somebody with this weapon could do some real heavy-duty damage. Yeah. I it, I love the fact that we've left out the fact that Acton has already introduced the fact that he has a lightsaber. Uh, clearly, he just went to an alternate reality and borrowed one from a yeah. Jedi Knight or something. And so yeah. we see him 
wailing away on the the uh, the caveman earlier, and now it's time to take on these two robots. Yeah, like pre previously, his kind of magical powers, he's been demonstrating them just for fun by playing around with like laser light things on his just in his hand. Um, so we know he can because he doesn't appear to have like a, a sword handle or anything. It's just like it comes out of his hand. Yeah, it's weird. It's an extension of these magical powers that he's got. These he's this this kind of mystical whatever he is. So he fights the robots, um, and it's very exciting. Um, I would have loved to. Oh no! Then doesn't he get hurt? Oh no! He gets so he's he's winning, but then he gets hurt. Yeah, he gets hurt. So then hurt. David Hasselhoff somehow he's able to pick up the lightsaber as well. So and I don't think finish off the, and finish off the robots somehow or another. Because yeah. of course, so actually, Zarth Arn has just left these two robots to do this yeah. and, and has gone away. He's like, "Do not leave! Do not!" Yeah. Uh, what does he say? Do not let them leave alive or something. Or, yeah. So yeah, so so David Hasselhoff finishes them off, and Acton is dying, and he appears to be pretty much fine, but he's like, "No, just leave me here," because they've <laughs> they've done they've done something, so this place is going to explode. And they're like, come with us, we'll get you help. Oh no, I've seen the future. This is what I have to do now. So he's very much like um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, sort of deliberately giving up his life so he can move on to a higher plane or something. But it's, it's, he doesn't it's, really it's have a so good strange. reason. It's just that he wants to write the character out and he, and he wants it to be kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi disappearing mm. underneath his robes. And it's just one of those... Literally, he Acton could have said... Uh, no, go on. My my life is over. There will be no more good chewing gum gum flavors produced. So I'm done with life. Mm. I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> it makes it would make as much sense. It's like uh, the the because we the, could have really done with him and his lightsaber skills in the next scene. Oh well, yeah. Uh, well, well, the the, no. the the giant attack. Yes. So they uh, so anyway so they leave Acton behind. And they go back to see the Emperor of the Universe. And that's when we discover that Simon is, of course, the missing son. Ah. Um, and uh, that's... so. Uh, he is dear. the Prince of the Universe. So yeah, He is. And he just didn't want to tell her. He thought it would be awkward. Yeah, well, so, thought, um, I would have thought the makeup would have given it away, but hey. So this is where now the Emperor is ready to attack Zarthan. <laughs> yes. And oh, uh, yes. uh, it's really funny. So they launch this attack and it's really bizarre. So Zarthan's got this spaceship, which we see, look, and it looks like a hand. It's really cool, actually, mm -hmm. the shots of it flying through space. I will say this based on, compared with Cosmos, which we talked about last time, the space miniature stuff, the flying stuff is really good in this film. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, they he properly... Uh, it's ed it's quickly edited. The, you know, there's camera movement, there's pacing, there's lasers. It's not the snore fest of uh, of Cosmos. Yeah, it, um, I mean, it's much it's more not, fast moving. Uh, it's not anywhere near the level of sophistication or or uh, uh, you know that that you're going to find in Star Wars. But at the same time, it does have much more <laughs> on the ball than yeah. the than Cosmos. That's for sure because there's yeah, at least there's a, much a, more. Well, yeah, much, there's much more, more movement and made. action, and 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 it, it's yeah. very clear that whoever is uh, initiating these special effects has an eye toward trying to produce something that would be interesting to look at. So, so he so he launches this attack and um, sends all the and this is the this is the kind of attack on the Death Star moment. Yeah, 
Um, but what's really funny is that they've got these missiles that they <laughs> fire at the place and it smashes through the windows and then just guys jump out with <laughs> with laser guns and start shooting. Yes. It would have, it would, wouldn't you think it would be logical to... You have the missile. Yeah, if you can fire if a missile. If you could just... Put a lot of <laughs> explosives inside the missile. Yeah, this whole Stop thing me would have if been you think over. I'm crazy here, but that seems like that would be much more effective than just putting a couple of mustachioed Italian dudes in there with guns. Yeah. Plus, also, if they've just smashed through the windows, I mean, I'm not a scientist or anything, but shouldn't that just have made everybody get sucked out into the vacuum of space? Uh, you know, that's what I would have thought, but apparently it doesn't happen <laughs> in the black hole either. So, hey, who knows uh, okay. anymore, man? Because they just keep smashing the windows of this thing and then just carrying on fighting. It's really funny. Um, and they look, I mean, that, that's the bit that specifically reminded me of something like the, you know, the serials, the, particularly yes, the costumes. Exactly. They're wearing those, they're wearing very similar hats to the style that we saw in Cosmos as well. This kind of leather helmets mm -hmm. that just has that 1930s, 40s kind of feel yeah, to it. This, this is the but segment the, where it's like a Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers serial yeah. just transplanted into color and given a little bit more money. Yeah. So there's lots of shooting. It's quite a good scene. It's pretty exciting. But it fails. Like Zarthan wins, which is a good twist, I think. Yep. So like all the, apparently, although he's the emperor of the whole universe, they've just wiped out his entire army. He's got nothing left. So that was it. That was his one chance to take Zarthan down, and he's failed. And they're just so. Um, I nearly said Barbarella, Stella, <laughs> and uh, Barbara, and, Barbara and Stella. <laughs> yeah, and David Hasselhoff and the Count. I've just been watching this whole thing on the telly. I thought that, you know, Simon and Stella would jump in a ship and go and join in, but no, they're just watching the whole thing on TV, and uh, they're very disappointed. They're like, oh dear, that's it then. And then they're like, oh, no, wait, there could be one more way to do this. And then I think it's David Hasselhoff uh, turns to, um, he, has, he gets Blum. the roll credit. Yeah, he gets the roll credits moment where he turns to his father and says something like, you don't mean Star Crash. <laughs> like we're supposed and, to know what the hell that yeah, is. Yeah, and they're all like, oh, yeah, Star Crash, mm, Star Crash. So Stella is the volunteer who's going to do the Star Crash. And so, so what it basically means is they've got a. We're going to spoil the the, the ending. Sorry. Warning. Um, so they've got a flying city in space, and uh, she's going to pilot this flying city, and smash it into Zarthan's big floating fist, and um, <laughs> oh, that apparently God. is the that's the star crash. That's it. Okay, I'm sorry, uh, but big floating fist. I'd never, that is the correct way to describe it, but I've never, never <laughs> conjured those words in that order before. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, that is the Star Crash. So there you go. But even though they're both basically just big spaceships. Yeah. Um, so she manages to fly it in to his thing and he gets killed and that's the end. But she survives. Yeah, they, they jump and, um, out. She and L, who's, yeah. who's once again, oh yeah, L's been memories. rebuilt. Yeah. L, so they 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 had some scientists around who could quickly rebuild L yeah. and make him better than ever. Um, so yeah, he joins her and they 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 do the star crash, and there you go. And there's a happy ever after ending with um, <laughs> with the camera just kind of slowly zooming in on the emperor 
as he gives this monologue. I don't know who he's talking to because there's no one else in the room about about how, you know, everything's going to be fine for now, but who knows, one day, something, something. Well, it's done. It's happened. The stars are clear. The planets shine. We've won. Oh, some dark force, no doubt, will show its face once more. The wheel will always turn. But for now, it's calm. And for a little time, at least, we can rest. It's really funny because you can just imagine Stella and David of David Hasselhoff have walked off and you can just imagine them sort of turning around and looking back and thinking, who's he talking to? Because they've long gone. Because <laughs> they're, they're headed to the commissary for lunch, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're quite hungry now. And L's gone off to get a bit more of it, get his oil topped up. Um, <laughs> and there you go. And that's the end of the movie. And that was the worst possible plot synopsis. But oh no no no! You, you, this no, is not, not a film to be watched. It is not a film that you watch for the plot. No, this is not a movie you watch for logic or sense or reason. This is a movie you watch for the experience of having watched it. This yeah. is madness. And it's really fun just picking out all the influences. Obviously, the the direct parallels with Star Wars are quite funny to yeah. to notice, but. But just all the other stuff as well, like we said, the Harryhausen stuff, mm-hmm. the serials, all of that stuff is just really funny uh, and very entertaining. Um, so, yeah, so I, like I said, I only saw Star Crash for the first time within the last 10 years. This was not a film that I'd ever been aware of popping up on TV when I was a kid or anything like that. Was this a film that had more um, exposure in America? Like back in the 80s, was it something that you would have crop up quite regularly or anything like that. probably probably basically because i remember i didn't see it until sometime in the 90s and by then it was kind of one of those legendary things that i had read about and then i knew was kind of a legendary bad film you know the the kind of thing that mm. people talk about in hushed hushed tones because it's you can't believe it until you see it you know you really have to watch this thing but i also do know a couple of people who caught this theatrically somehow or another in the late 70s and had uh essentially mental scars forever because of it (laughs) and 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 that's exactly what i would expect i mean this is if you caught this at a young age and saw the words you know say you were a kid or a teenager and you went to the drive-in because star crash was star crash was part of the double feature and you sat through that movie you were going to be you weren't going to be puzzled yeah you were going to be puzzled as well but you're also just going to be peeved you were not going to be thrilled with the the ride that you just experienced because that's not what you you know you were looking for something along the lines of star wars so i Mm. i when i finally caught up with it i was prepared for what it you know obviously is but i was not prepared for the effect it would have on me over time to the point now where I absolutely love it. And uh, Mm. I think of it as 
Um, it, it's it's kind of like a puppy that just can't learn to not pee on the floor. You know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's 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 fun and you love it and it's there's there's no way to dislike it because it's too damn stupid to know not to pee on the carpeting again. You know, it's mm. it's it is what it is. I, I once described this movie as what you would get if an eight year old riffed on an issue of EC Comics Weird Science from the fifties. Uh, this this movie is what his pixie sticks fueled imagination would create. This is the sugar rushing mm-hmm. kid bursting with enthusiasm, but short on talent and money, making a damn movie. This is uh, this is exactly what it is. This is kitchen sink science fiction pulp madness thrown up on the the screen with not enough cash, and just to be honest, the the fact that this movie exists at all might actually go some distance towards proving to me that there is a god because mm-hmm. it's amazing yeah it is really it's really fun um and like i said before i've met caroline monroe a couple of times and one time i was lucky enough to be um like given granted access to the green room of this big hammer weekend that was being done probably gosh nearly 10 years ago probably mm. and caroline monroe and several there were loads of hammer guests and it was like one of the best weekends ever um, so I just got to hang out with these people. And um, so I picked up a set of Spanish Star Crash lobby cards and I took them with me. I think there were like, maybe I don't know, eight pictures maybe, possibly more. And I showed them to Carolyn Monroe and she thought they were great. And she signed all of them for me, you know, free of charge, which I know is annoying for anyone who's oh, yeah, she's a sweetheart. Stood, stood in stood in line and paid for her autograph. Uh, <laughs> but she signed each one of them. Some of them she shut, some of them she signed Stella Star as well, mm-hmm. uh, um, which was very cool. I'll, I'll tweet some pictures of those. Um, but yeah, so this film, I think because of the because it got picked up eventually for distribution by Corman, it had a pretty good release schedule at the time. Like you said, uh, you know people who caught it in the cinema. Um, and um, Stephen Romano in the Blu-ray talks about he caught it in the cinema when it first came out. Um I, I did find a couple of reviews in Variety. They're quite negative about it, actually. But then they say, um, although the characterizations are a little bit more than cardboard cutouts, it's hard to fault actors when they're given lines like, I'll fix you, or I hope they're friendly, to say. Um, and it says that uh, basically they're just poor imitations of what's been done before. So they were not particularly forthcoming. It did also get a release in the UK, um, interestingly. Uh, in fact, the review in the monthly film bulletin, what's really great is on the same page is the review for The Humanoid, which is our film we're doing next time, Yeah, which is pretty funny. So they were both in cinemas at the same time in the UK. Um, in the review in monthly film bulletin, the first sentence is, Alien Acton and his girlfriend, ace pilot Stella Star." And I thought, hang on, what? <laughs> did I miss? Did I miss something? I'm pretty sure they're not together. Uh, no. But anyway, um, but the re- the review is actually really positive. It says, despite mediocre special effects and a clumsily protracted finale, Star Crash intermittently achieves a kind of lunatic appeal as it lurches pell mell from one casually fabricated climax to the next. I think that's quite positive, really. <laughs> lunatic appeal. It says the plotting is unabashedly reminiscent of a pre-war serial. And we've covered that quite a lot. Um, So, yeah, 
pretty funny. Anyway, so it so mixed, I think it's fair to say, the reviews, but it's definitely become a cult classic now, and it's probably the film that Luigi Cosi is the most closely associated with uh, out of all of his movies. And I hope we do get to cover some of his other films on the podcast because uh, oh, it would be a blast. Really, yeah, I really enjoy. Uh, it's basically just his love for the genre comes through, no matter how cheap the production. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, one thing I really would like to point guy. out: uh, the this this film being what it is, um, if 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 something is successful especially in science fiction, then one of the things that happens with it is that it, it, it is that it spawns fan fiction. And uh, mm. I have to admit that uh, there may have been a dearth of it until roughly 2010, but there was published a book called Curved Space, The Adventures of Stella Star. And of course I own it because I'm insane. And wow. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's out of print now, I think. So if you get, if you seek out a copy, you may end up having to pay a lot of money for it. But it's uh, it's a, a bunch of uh, nine, I think it's nine or ten short stories written by different authors, kind of continuing continuing the adventures of Caroline Monroe's character in the film, and um, gotta say, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun and completely nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a copy uh, back years ago. I uh, I even had uh, Caroline Monroe uh, sign sign a, sign my copy. And it's nice. uh, it's one of those things where if you're if you're a true fan of of Star Crash and you want more of this madness, and you can find a copy for for a non ridiculous price, uh, Curved Space: The Adventures of Stella Star is right up your alley. So it now also because of that book joins you know Star Wars, Star Trek, all these other franchises out there with all these books that line the shelves, but of course, Star Crash only has the one. Mm. Wow, that's very cool. I didn't know that. There was a few years ago. There was a um, an action figure of Stellar Star released. Oh wow, um, that's cool. Which is um, it's kind of creepy. Uh, <laughs> if you've seen that, um, I mean, but I, I did. I know people who bought one. It's quite big, and it's it's basically too sexy. It's kind of troublingly sexy for a plastic toy. <laughs> oh my god! Um, is how I would describe it. And you can you can change its outfit. Two of her different, basically the two different bikini things that she wears in the movie. You can dress her up in it. I mean, the whole thing just seems far too mm, troubling. But it was very <laughs> expensive. It's like about a hundred pounds, like hundred and fifty dollars oh, wow. or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, quite impressive for. But yeah, this. Uh, I don't know, like 30 centimeters tall, so whatever that is in, in inches. Um, it's pretty tall. Toy. And it was poseable. You could adjust. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of slightly. But I'll tweet that out as well because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but just, I don't know, I would feel troubled having that staring at me in the corner of my oh and if you're room. if you're worried that this, that curved space that collection of short stories would be some kind oh, of yeah. you know renegade pirate thing no 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 uh the, there was a forward written by luigi cozy himself so it's uh oh, it's okay. authorized so, he likes it. so yeah that's cool thank you very much uh good to know so i think we've probably there's probably other star crash related memorabilia out there if, if you've got some let us know um <laughs> True. i know luigi luigi cosi was selling t-shirts of star crash in his shop um 
but I didn't get one mainly because I feel like I'm too old now to walk around with a picture of a girl in a bikini and a t-shirt. <laughs> I, w- um, I don't know, man. I wear some pretty strange t-shirts myself. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, like the, the poster artwork and the alternative poster artwork for this film is, is really great. Even if in none of them does she look anything like Caroline Monroe. True. Um, but there's some great artwork that's associated with this movie that's worth checking out. And again, once when I when I get the podcast actually out, I'll I'll be tweeting some of that out because it's it's such a you know it obviously stimulated the imaginations of the artists True. involved, and there's some really great stuff associated with the movie. Um, but thank you, Rod. I think this might turn out to be our longest episode yet, possibly. Um, but there's you know how could we not spend so much time talking about uh one of our favorite films possibly true 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 know. yeah no star crash so everybody who's listening if you've never seen star crash this is the one <laughs> i know we've covered like planet of the vampires yes that's very yes good. it's a very good film yes and uh wild wild planet yeah that's really good too but yeah, if you yeah. could only pick one film of what we've done so far i would say go with star crash you will not you will not be disappointed you may be baffled oh you, you will, will be, baffled. be disappointed yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well thank you everybody uh for listening please don't forget to do all the things that every podcast asks you to do leave us a review <laughs> like us on whatever you're listening to this on uh subscribe tell your friends uh buy advertisements for us in your locality yeah. yeah throw us some money yeah send out send out carrier pigeons with uh, the podcast name tied to their legs whatever you can do uh let's get the word out there um rod thank you again and uh we will be back soon to talk about another direct star wars ripoff thank you everybody for listening bye 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 everyone deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 